Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today, we are going to tackle the swinging lifestyle and being non-monogamous. And my guest is going to be a great resource for us. And he's written a couple books about the topic. Uh, plus, he has a, a podcast, too. So we're going to make sure that you know all those details and how to get more information. But, Cooper, it's awesome to have you with me today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, I, I think we're going we're gonna to clear up some misconceptions, and we're going to share oh, some boy. And, and it's, it's going to be a fun conversation, I have a feeling. <laughs> I have a feeling, too. Awesome. You are the founder of Life Swing Set and host of its Swinging and Polyamory podcast. You speak and teach classes on swinging, pegging, polyamory, play parties, and non-monogamy. Now, that's a mouthful. but you also do graphic and website design you're a photographer voiceover artist and you've been a guest on don savage's savage love cast i love that title that is so cool written two books one of which i've read the other i haven't tackled yet first is my life on the swing set adventures in swinging and polyamory which is nonfiction. that is a memoir and a life less monogamous which i've just about finished which is a novel I've, I've made the I've made myself the promise of a book a year. There you go. And and I've done two for two now, so that's pretty great. Well, see, that's not bad at all. That's no. awesome. Haven't so, missed a year yet since I started that plan. <laughs> well, some some people never finish the first one, so I, every word you on paper is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, I was thinking. What we should do to get started, because I've got all kinds of, of questions I'm going to ask you. And listeners, just kick back, put your feet up. We're, we're just going to have some fun. We're going to talk about some interesting things and clear up some misconceptions. But I think to do that, the first thing we need to do is talk about the difference between polyamory, being a swinger, being mon- non-monogamous, and having an open relationship. What are some of the differences? Because I think people just assume they're all the same thing, but there are distinct differences. Well, I I would say that open relationships and non-monogamy are sort of umbrella terms. Open relationships sort of get slid into a definition. So let's see. um, Really, one of the best terms out there is what's called ethical non-monogamy. And I look at that as the umbrella that sits over pretty much all the variants here. Because uh, the the reason for the word ethical in there is there are a lot of people in the United States and the rest of the world who are in non-monogamous relationships, but unfortunately don't know about it because their partner is cheating on them. Right. And that is non-monogamy. That is unethical non-monogamy. So really the, the distinction is the fact ethical non-monogamy is where everybody has opted into the situation and can know as much as they choose to know about the situation. So the difference between that and cheating is the person at home knows that their partner is out with someone else. So that's part one. I I like how you said, too, what they choose to know, because it seems like different different couples may may want to know that there's, you know, they're, they're okay that the person is out with somebody else, but they don't want to know who, or they don't want to know the details of what they're doing or that kind of thing. And other people Indeed. want to know it. Well, and, and I think a lot of people, especially when they're new to non-monogamy, they sort of default to uh, information overload. 
where right. they'll come home and say, okay, I did this, and then we did this, and then we did this. And that can actually be uh, detrimental to the relationship because sometimes the partner just doesn't want to know. All they want to know is, did you have fun? Right. Good, I'm happy for you. I don't need to know who did what to where. You know, I don't need to know that. I just need to know that you had fun. Makes sense. So we, we, yeah, we're very much about, you know, whatever level of comfort, you know, play to the comfort level. And that's part of the ethical part is you're, you're always looking to make your partner as comfortable as possible. If we go deeper then, open relationships often gets really conflated with that don't ask, don't tell style of relationship. Like two people have decided that they are able to do stuff with other people, but they don't want to know about it. They don't want to share it and all that. Honestly, I have never talked to someone in a don't ask, don't tell relationship that is successful. I would love to, but I have never done that. And I've talked to a lot of people. I don't know if it just really doesn't happen often or if it doesn't work often. I don't, I can't be sure. That's true. Well, you know, it, it, part of that could be because our imagination is always worse than reality. Indeed. <laughs> so if, if you don't know what the person's doing, you're probably imagining far worse than it really is. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but you, you know, there are a number of, of quirks in non-monogamy that make, and that's one of them, the don't ask, don't tell, that make me wonder what is, the reasoning behind that and is whatever is causing you to be afraid of that information or really bristle at that information, is that also an indicator that something else is wrong here? That's very possible. So it's it's just that's, that's never something I recommend to new people trying it. I recommend, you know, the, my deal with my partner is I will tell her I'm going out tonight there is a possibility of sex. When I come home, I'll tell her if I had a good time or not. And if she wants more information, I will share as much as she's interested in, in hearing. But she has to ask for it. That's our deal. That sounds logical. Because then that lets everybody opt in. It's all about being able to opt in and out of things that would make you upset or uncomfortable, I think. Are there ever times when she asks for more information and there's something you think she may not really want to hear and you kind of hedge around it? Or is that too personal? I'm always overly concerned about how people will react to anything I do. So I'm one of those people that plays every uh, reaction scenario in my head and assumes the worst. So I'm always a little worried. And she, (laughs) in general, does not react badly to the things I tell her, especially when she asks for it. Right. Well, it's kind of like don't don't ask if you don't want to hear the answer, you know. Exactly. <laughs> I think I think that's a very you know it, I will tell you, but if you really don't want to know, just don't ask. That's it. That's it. Well, so, I, I do that with people about other things when they ask a question. I'm like, no, do you want what answer do you want? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't unhear this. You know, yes. I'll tell you, but you can't unhear. And I I have the same approach. Uh, towards people when they when they sort of get a feeling about me and ask, are you a swinger? I'll hit them with, you know, 
I'll tell you whatever you need. I'm happy to answer that with a yes. But you can never unhear this about me again. So if you don't really want to know, don't ask. <laughs> but that's like me and do you want the nice answer? Do you want the blood answer? You yeah, know, exactly. Well, like I said, I do that about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so the big one, swinging versus polyamory, I think, is okay. the, the, the dividing lines in the non-monogamous community. Because if there are two industry leaders in the community, it's those two. And... I, I take a controversial stance because I don't believe there is that much difference between the two lifestyles. Uh, they're very, very large points of overlap. But traditionally, in the past, if you were talking about swinging, you were talking usually about a couple with an established relationship who are going out to have sex with other couples and singles outside their relationship, often together sometimes separately, but it's sex-based. They're not looking for relationships. Then on the other side, poly, sex is still involved in poly. A lot of people say poly's about love and swinging's about sex, but there is still sex in poly. And poly is about you're in a relationship often or you're single and have multiple external relationships. But the, the focus is more on developing relationships and loving relationships than just having casual sex. Okay. Why I think they're the same, ultimately, is swingers develop some pretty solid relationships often with the people they swing with. They may not develop, uh, like, romantic falling in love type relationships, but they certainly develop close friend bonding. And we love our friends. We can admit we love our friends. So why is it any different there, right? Right. Okay. Whereas poly people, I know an awful lot of poly people who have an awful lot of casual sex. And what is casual sex outside your primary relationship if not swinging? Neither community is fond of me when I say that. Because uh, you know how it is with um, slightly oppressed minorities. They really yeah. like to oppress other minorities. They do. You're right. So there's a lot of sniping back and forth in between swinging and poly. And it's one of the reasons I think that the term ethical non-monogamy or just open as umbrellas are really great because it allows us to do what is best for us at the moment rather than say, okay, this is the box I'm in. Right. Because really, what is non-monogamy other than saying, okay, we're, we're in this monogamy box that we've been put in by society. We are choosing to leave that box and get into the slightly larger box called swinging. So yeah, I'm very much a proponent of let things develop as they go. And that's why I'm, I'm sort of both swinging and poly. And sometimes I'll be more swinger than poly, and sometimes I'll be more poly than swinger. It happens. <laughs> right now, I'm more swinger than Polly, you know, it, it, and I can't predict what will make that happen. Really, a, a lot of the time, it's meeting specific people. That's what I would think. It would depend on the people that you meet, you're around. That would change the situation more than anything, it would seem. Interesting. Okay. I'm not lost so far, and I learned a couple things. So this is <laughs> <it>. <laughs> okay, so tell us, 
What is a first date like for a swinger? Oh, well, I mean, it can, it can vary wildly. I can tell you most of my first dates um, as a swinger involve a long dinner of getting to know you, uh, often with drinks, often with wine. I'm a big fan of wine at those dinners. And then uh, moving to somebody's house and more another drink or two, and then maybe maybe some kissing and clothes come off, and then it's lovely and sexy and <laughs> can't beat it. Really, it's it's wonderful. So see, now I understand the the reason for the the fine wine tasting in the, in the the novel. <laughs> I see that. Okay, I got it now. It's because I'm a wine geek. That's why wine is all over the place. Yeah, I was, and everybody brings a bottle of wine. And yeah, okay, okay. Now I understand why you did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and and I enjoyed when I was reading uh, Lifeless Monogamous. It was so cool to hear. Well, I guess hear and write, but to to see what the the two main characters were saying as they were getting ready for their date. They weren't sure whether to call it a date. They were very nervous about how to get dressed, how to get there, and going to the more secluded table at the restaurant. So it's, it's almost like as you're reading the book and you're wondering, I mean, they come right out and ask the questions that, that I was thinking nine times out of ten. It was just interesting to go through the steps of the process with the two of them from the, from the man's point of view and his wife's point of view on, you know, whether what they were doing, how they were doing it. It would need to be in their minds and hear their, their conversations about all of it. That's one of my favorite things about it, and that's really what made it so different from when I'm – because I do a lot of nonfiction writing and mm-hmm. blogging, and really the one thing I can't do in that is get inside multiple people's heads because all the blogs are from inside my head. That's, that's right. just what they are. And my head is a messy place at times. And so I really enjoyed being able to step outside my very specific brand of neuroses and into two other people who do share a lot of similarity with me and a lot of similarity with friends of mine and people I know. But to be able to explore it from from multiple points of view in a, in a literal sense and not just in academic nonfiction sense was really a, a nice change. It's a whole different whole different canvas to work with when you're doing fiction because you've got so many more things you can do. And, and like you said, yes, because any of my nonfiction is very much from my point of view directly speaking to the reader. And I like the, the options that you've got with fiction because there's just yeah. a different way to tackle it. Makes a big difference. Very true. It was interesting that I've read so much of the novel before we did this. This worked out very well. So often, I've got a wide range of interesting comments I've heard from guys over the years, but they kind of, they, they love to watch two women together. Okay, I'm used to that because they say that all the time. But the idea of two men together seems less common, less natural, whatever. So is that an issue in the swinging community that they they just kind of assume the two women are going to want to do something together, but the guys kind of hesitate. I know that's, that's the deal, too, with, with threesome, because a lot of times men want to have a threesome with two women, but if you suggest something about two men, they're like, no, 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 no. So is, is that something that's tackled in the... It's, it's unfortunately still a thing in the swing community. I think it never really... You know, there's a lot of uh, homophobia in 
the world. So it's not mm-hmm. exclusive to the swing community. And of all that homophobia, there's a there's an astonishing amount of bile spewed toward bisexual men. Right. And as a bisexual man, it's something I've had to deal with for most of my adult life, especially as I moved into swinging. Specifically, I was told, if you want to get dates, you put straight on your profile. Hmm. It's really, it's, it's a distressing thing to process because a lot of, and I was actually just writing uh, an essay about this last night, my procrastination looks like work. I procrastinate from the thing I should be working on by working on things that I should someday work on, but not right now. Of course. <laughs> In fact, this whole novel was a procrastination from the, from the nonfiction book I should have been writing. <laughs> My theory, and I, I do want to emphasize that I'm not speaking for all straight men here, but I think that the reason you see all these profiles Uh, that so adamantly come out against, we don't want bi men because my husband doesn't want someone looking at him. We're okay with bi men, but don't touch my husband. Or when the husbands are doing it, really. I I find that the men often couch their homophobia in their partners. Mm -hmm. It's just something I've observed. But what I think it is, is that men are used to treating women a very specific way. And that way is when they're told no or told I'm not interested, they sort of go into a wearing down mode. Like, come on, it'll be fun. Come on, you'll enjoy it. Come on, let's just try it. Maybe just a minute. Maybe just the tip. (laughs) And the last thing in the world, a man who does that, who thinks that way once, is somebody walking up treating him the same way. Oh, good point. Okay. So the theory that they have is that a bi man is going to walk in, is not going to be okay with the whole consent discussion, is not going to care that the man is not interested in guy-guy play, and is going to just bother him and, and rib him and say, oh, come on, just let, me, just let me suck your cock. I should have asked if I can say stuff like that. You can. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I feel like it's being terrified of being treated the way you know you treat people. That is so interesting. I really like that. Okay. And it's it's upsetting, isn't it? It's that's that's a theory that, if true, really speaks poorly about so many people who probably don't even realize they feel that way. Well, they may not actually realize how it comes across when they do that to people. Very true. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Okay. I like the point. Not that necessarily that I like the, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. All right. Well, and I like that, that one, of the, one of the chapters is give yourself permission to screw up. I would think anytime you're venturing into something different than what you're used to or, or that's your norm, you're going to screw up. It's just going to happen. That happens in all facets of life. But for some reason, a lot of people feel like they, they can't screw up when it comes to sex or relationships. And we all do it. <laughs> you know, everybody does it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's inevitable. We are going to screw up. Really, I think what we're programmed to do is, unfortunately, we're programmed to hold grudges and not forgive easily, even though we know how we'd want to be treated if we made the same mistake. And one of the things I tell swingers when they're just getting started is this is a really, really intense lifestyle, especially if all you've known is monogamy your whole life, especially if you've never had sex with anybody else. That's huge. True. And it is going to put you into the cauldron. It is going to blast you with heat. And it can be, I mean, it, it is the, the best decision I ever made for myself as an adult was opening up sexually and becoming a swinger. Hands down, I wouldn't change it for the world. It has also caused some of the largest and most stressful conflict in my entire life. So really, you're looking at, you know, our old tagline for the podcast was a lifeless monogamous, a lifeless monotonous. And obviously, I took that for the title of the book. But the the monotony that can come from monogamy is also comfort and safety, right? It's much safer because if you never leave your house, you are safer than if you walk into the street. Just you are. Not a lot safer, but you are safer. So never leaving monogamy, you're not exposing yourself to the enormous pool of risk. And when I say that, I realize I, I'm, I'm saying a thing that people often use as a reason to not be non-monogamous, which is the, well, once we've opened up, what is to stop my partner from falling in love with someone else, right? Right. And I would argue to that, what is stopping your partner from falling in love with someone else right now? True. Is the word marriage a, a, a blockade somehow? I mean, we all uh, make the choice to be with our partner on a day-by-day basis. And sometimes that choice is really easy, a no-brainer. And sometimes that choice is really, really hard. And sometimes we make the choice to leave. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, non-monogamy Opening up your relationship adds opportunity, but it doesn't suddenly make you not protected anymore. You know, your partner is going to decide to be with you for the rest of your life or they're not. Very true. And you can put, you know, seven well-hung men in front of any woman and she will decide to step up and have sex with all of them or she won't. (laughs) It, It doesn't matter if you're married or just dating or in an open relationship, except for the fact that theoretically, if in your, if you're in an open relationship, you've discussed the possibility of what to do here because open relationships really force communication. Interesting. Okay. And I really believe that being forced to communicate the way open relationships do force you to communicate will ultimately make you so much better at communication because monogamous people don't really communicate by and large because they don't have to. 
<laughs> but I mean, they should obviously. Yeah, they definitely should. But yeah, there's yeah. there's not nearly enough effective communication between people. Not at all. Well, and, and it's like it's like when when you tell people that the biggest part of communicating is listening. So like, huh? Like, okay. Here again. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and that's really what I learned. You know, when you acknowledge that you are going to fuck up, not just your partner, but you, that is a real, first of all, it's, it's admitting that you are human. Admitting you're human leads to forgiving yourself in advance. And forgiving yourself leads to being able to forgive your partner. When we started, I had the idea of a get-out-of-jail-free card from Monopoly. And we each got one. And when one of us fucked up major, we could use the get-out-of-jail-free card, and the, the, the argument would stop. Ah, but you only had one card? We only had one card. (laughs) But it was okay because really everybody's got one major, major mistake in the beginning of swinging. Uh, And and then usually things settle down a little bit. But everyone's got their one ridiculous mistake. Well, especially when it's just so completely new to you. Yeah. So, yeah, makes, makes good sense. How about nerves and dysfunction? I can only imagine what you were thinking about that. So I have had problems with erectile dysfunction in the swinging lifestyle. And I don't have any problems saying that because I know that a lot of men have problems with erectile dysfunction when they first start swinging because there's an awful lot of pressure when you suddenly, where you are used to there being one other person in the room, Now there are three other people in the room, and one of them has a very hard erection, and you don't at the moment. And really, there's nothing more pressuring there than than watching that other guy be exactly who you wish you were and uh, not being able to get hard. And one of the, the best lessons that I have learned from swinging is to remove expectations and end game from sex. There you go. Like you know, that. at the beginning, what sex was to me was when I ejaculated at the end of penetrative penis and vagina sex. Okay. And that is sex, to be fair. But it's it's also like five percent of sex and what i recognized was oral sex is sex hand jobs are sex um grinding on each other is sex and you don't have to have an orgasm for it to be considered sex and recognizing that sometimes my body did not function in the fashion that i wanted it to fashion Sometimes I couldn't get hard. Sometimes I couldn't come. So it's just, it it was a thing. Sometimes it wouldn't work the way I wanted it to work. And therefore, I had to look at, well, what do I want to get out of the situation? And 
it really made me appreciate every different level of interaction so much more when I didn't need to achieve this checkbox perception of finished. Right. And I think that no one should ever make you feel obligated to do anything in bed ever. And it, and orgasms are part of that. You should never feel obligated to have an orgasm. And so many people see, like, you know, women, I just had a conversation with a friend on, on Facebook about this, that as soon as she says, sometimes I have difficulty having an orgasm from, uh, you know, in, in situations like this, the guy immediately says, challenge accepted. Because he's been trained that the good man will get that orgasm. And ultimately, he may never be able to get that orgasm. And that doesn't mean he has failed. No, but if, if it's in his entire focus, especially after he's been told that often I don't orgasm, right. then all she gets to do now is feel bad that she's not being able to do what is expected. And expectations are never a value in sex because they just add pressure and pressure and orgasms, pressure and uh, erections. Those don't go together. No, they're not a good combination. Well, and, and people don't understand that, that there's, I mean, there's an entire journey to intimacy and sex with another person. It's not just about orgasm. There's a lot of other things that can be wonderful. Like, you know, enjoy the journey, people, and then you may or may not get to the destination you're expecting. Exactly. Enjoy the journey. That's where you start to find new things. Yes. And, and as soon as you get out of that rut, because, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of swing interactions involve swapped, uh, swapped partners and usually someone goes down on the other person and then they switch and then there's penetrative sex and an orgasm and we're done. That's, that's like routine. And it's easy, you know, it, just as easy as it is for monogamous people to get into routine sex. It is surprisingly easy for swinging to become routine. And so it, just varying that up is an amazing boon to exploration and variety. Interesting. Well, and that's, that's something that I often mention on the show and in, in my blog post, and, and especially when I was doing um, reviews quite often, was, you know, shake it up. Do things differently. Look, for, you know, get creative. Have fun. You know, I mean, and, and even light up with your partner. <laughs> you know, don't make it so serious all the time. Indeed. Always be looking for something different. Keep it interesting. Well, that's the thing, you know. Everyone's always talking about spicing up your relationship with these things, but ultimately, it's it's about deprogramming the problematic elements of human sexuality. And the, you know, the one of the best things in the world is recognizing that maybe all you want to do is go down on your partner tonight. And you're not interested in other sex, but other sex often inevitably follows because that's the way you roll. And so if you can break those elements up, like maybe, maybe you just want to make out a lot. And that really can, can reinforce uh, 
a level of enjoyment that you may be missing in these acts because they're always just a stop on the way to your destination. You know, it's, it's funny because actually my, my best-selling book out of all of them, and it, it's incredibly short, but it's about kissing from head to toe. You know, all <laughs> different places you can kiss, the different ways you can kiss, this sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. And it, oh yeah, definitely. It was a lot of fun to write that one. <laughs> Got done with it way too quick. It, it's really cute because in a lot of the reviews, people mention, I, I have forgotten how much fun it is to just kiss and make out with the person. Yeah. So like, as a teenager, it was good because it was like just so taboo. You weren't supposed to do it. And they're like, I had just, I had forgotten. Well, I was just at a party where I was one of the co-hosts, so I was very focused on making sure the party was running and functioning. And because of that, I really only made out with someone, and, and there was some grinding, but we were clothed. And it really did feel like parents' basement, <laughs> and it was really damn hot because of, because of the limitation on it. And it's it's funny when we can do everything. There's no one to limit us except us. And so sometimes adding these artificial limitations to ourselves actually enhances the situation. They can. Like I said, never never underestimate how much fun it could be. Now, what about jealousy? Let's talk about jealousy because that that can. You mean the elephant in the room? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, and it would seem like, too, jealousy could be a big thing that's holding people back from even considering this. Because, like like you said, my my partner's going to fall in love with somebody else and run off and leave me and, you know, that kind of thing. But, well, and and there's been several shows I've done talking about various things and and saying, you know, if you're a jealous person, this is not a relationship you can be in. And and if you do try it, it's just not going to be successful. So, is jealousy an issue, and how do people deal with it? Jealousy can be an issue, and everybody at some point in their swinging lifestyle will feel jealous. Okay. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. The reason we feel jealous is because we're told from a very early age that we're supposed to be jealous about these things, and it's really hard to unlearn that. And unfortunately, our default response to jealousy is often flipping out. There's yelling and, and demanding and finger pointing. What I really try, you know, and I had, I still have jealousy issues because everybody does, but I had some major ones at the beginning of my swinging career. And what I started to recognize about, um, jealousy for me, and this isn't true for everybody, is it was very much tied to my high school days where I would feel like I was an outsider, uh, somehow not invited to the cool table. And so when I would go to a party and my partner, and women always have better luck at parties than men, it's just because... People will swarm around them. So I would go to parties and see that my partner's having a great time, and I was standing over here in the corner just kind of hanging out. And the, the valuable thing that I learned there is I was standing over in the corner because I put myself in the corner, not because of anything my partner did, 
not because of anything the people at the party did. I did that. And it was not my partner's responsibility to get me laid at that party, just like it was my, my responsibility to get her laid. It is my responsibility to advocate for myself. It is my responsibility to ask for what I want. If I spend an entire party waiting for someone to come to me, it might happen. I might get lucky. But odds are there are other people at that party also waiting for someone to come up to them. I've had the situation where after a party, I've talked to a person there who I was interested in. And she's like, yeah, I was kind of, I wanted to approach you, but I didn't know if you were interested. It's like, what, what is, this is high school, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and what I learned in, in after high school, what I learned in the, you know, when you, when you go through your Facebook uh, nostalgia phase and you look up old friends from high school on Facebook and you're like, man, I was totally into you. And they're like, why didn't you ever ask me out? Because I was stupid because I, I didn't think about it. So that's, I, this is off topic of jealousy here. I'm going to, I'm going to steer it around. So what really what we need to do is think of jealousy as like the check engine light on the car. When your check engine light comes on, it can mean the engine is about to fall out of the car. But it can also mean that when you just put gas in, you didn't twist the gas cap enough, so there's a little air getting in there, and that's why the check engine light is on. The reason I use the, those two wild extremes as, uh, as descriptors is because if every time you feel jealous, you behave as though the engine was about to fall out of your relationship, then you will spend most of your time in the swinging lifestyle in a state of high intensity stress. Good. If instead you look at it as, uh, okay, well, this is something to be aware of. I'm feeling this way and then sit there and process it and say, well, what is making me feel this way? So back to that party where I'm standing in the corner and watching my partner have all the fun in the world. And I'm standing there with the, with the empty glass, you know, that I keep kind of drinking. Out of, maybe right. there'll be more next time. What is making, what is making me feel jealous right now? Well, the fact that she's having fun and I'm not, well, what would, what would change that? Well, I could go and see if someone wanted to have fun with me. Okay, uh, why am I not doing that? Because I'm a. If they say no, what would happen if they say no? Well, then I, I guess, be standing here with a drink in my hand, pretending to drink it. So I would be no worse off than I am at the moment. Exactly. I'd be doing the same thing I'm doing right now. <laughs> so what? This led to a really fun thought experiment that I, it's one of my favorite things that I've ever uh, stumbled upon for my writing. Uh, I, I call it the Schrodinger conundrum. So, you know, Schrodinger's cat is a quantum physics experiment where there's a cat in a box with poison. And if you don't open the box, you don't know if the cat is alive or dead so simultaneously at that moment, the cat is both alive and dead. And opening the box is what causes the reaction, right? Right. So I took that and, and I looked at it. Well, most people look at that as there are two options. The cat is alive or the cat is dead. 
And that's true. There are only those two options. But let's, let's step back and actually apply it to reality. So there are three options here. One, I open the box and the cat's alive and I get to play with the cat. Awesome. Two, I open the box and the cat is dead and I don't get to play with the cat. Or three, I don't open the box. It doesn't matter if the cat is alive or dead because I don't get to play with it. Hmm. Okay. So by not approaching someone we're interested in, by not asking, we have gone from a 50-50 shot to a two-thirds against shot. Right. Because by not asking, we're getting the no, period. Actually, we go to 100% no. By not asking, we get nothing. It's definitely no. By simply asking, by simply approaching and asking, we take it from that to, from definitely not, to 50% maybe yes. Well, you can't get a yes if you don't ask the question. So. Absolutely. And we spend our time giving ourselves no's because we don't ask. Well, we, and that's why advocating for what you want and asking for what you want is such a valuable skill that one has to develop. I like that. So what about the, the changing dynamics of a relationship? I can't imagine that going from being in a monogamous relationship to swinging even as a couple doesn't have a drastic change on the dynamic of a relationship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dramatic. Um, he doesn't sound upset about that. Okay. No, no, because I, it, it's, it's like I was talking about before. Yeah, there, there are some intense, really, really intense stuff that comes from opening up your relationship. But the value that comes along with it is so vast that without question, given the opportunity again, I would say yes. The dynamic shift it, your relationship is going to change. Um, I, I feel like if, if you do it right, and not everybody's going to do it right, and this isn't for everybody. This, this lifestyle is absolutely not for everybody. But if you do it right and you communicate, it will enhance so much of how you communicate. And you'll be able to experience new and different things as a couple people only ever get to experience from their own point of view. You know, if you're monogamous, you're in, usually you're a serial monogamous, so you date one person and then you'd break up and then you date one person and you break up. And so you're experiencing these things, but only you can react. And as a swinger, you, you come prepackaged with a wingman. And... <laughs> That, you know, your partner is the most valuable asset in a swinging experience for you to have because you can egg your partner on. Your partner can egg you on. You can compliment them and make them feel awesome and then wind them up and point them at the people they're interested in and are afraid to approach. Interesting. So the dynamics ultimately change because it's a lot more to juggle. You know, a, a monogamous life, I, I've lived the monogamous life, and in general, 
you spend a lot of time at home with your partner. And you maybe have a date night. As swingers, you generally go out a lot more with other people. So also you're meeting people, which is amazing. The more people you have in your life, the better off I think everybody is. Can be. Definitely can be. <laughs> so what, and, and we've, we've touched on some, but what do you think are the top five benefits to a relationship for, for a couple to get into swinging? Okay. Communication, absolutely. Okay. Learning more about yourself sexually, okay. which I think is very valuable. By learning about other people sexually, you become a better lover for not only your partner, but for everybody else, because everybody's different. So you need new techniques. You need to vary your techniques. It's, it's great. True. Okay. I'm trying real hard not to say communication again, because it is so very important. You, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's, it's really funny because I know a lot of swingers in a huge range of ages. And a couple of years ago, uh, there was a couple on, I do, I host a weekly, uh, weekly, I wish it was weekly. I host a yearly trip to Mexico to a resort called Desire Resort and Spa, which is like sandals for swingers. There was a couple in their early 80s there who had so much amazing energy and were just so in love with their life and have been swinging since the 60s. And that means they endured the dark times, the 80s. And it, it's just, I've never seen anything that keeps people young better. I've never seen anything that gets you to meet people you wouldn't otherwise meet. Because as, as a young couple, you generally hang out with young couples. As an older couple, you hang out with older couples. If you have a child, you hang out with parents. You generally sort of self-segregate yourself into a certain friends group. But when you're in a swinging uh, community, it's really amazing to see <laughs> that there is absolutely nothing from the outside that would appear to be the reason you are all friends. True. It's like, are you in a book club? What is this? What, why are you, how do you know each other? It would perplex people. So the, the variety of people you can meet, uh, that's, that's really high up on my list. Is that four? Have I given four? There? Well, and, and the, the more different people you meet, the more diverse you become as a person, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to, to hang around with people that have the same interests, but it's, it's so cool to, to, to be around people that you get along with and have just totally different interests because you learn new yeah. things. So, yeah, very cool. I like that. So what about, and I can't imagine this isn't an issue, but what about intolerance and people being judgmental? Like, they're not judgmental about anybody's sexuality in any other way, but... Oh, no, it's, it's an issue. I mean, it's an issue everywhere, and swingers, traditional swingers, are by and large not very tolerant of poly people, as we talked about. They, they snipe a lot. There's definitely a lot of intolerance towards bisexuals. There's a lot of expectations that the females will be bisexual, Whereas they're surprised when they're not. 
surprising amount of distancing themselves from BDSM. Mm. Okay. You know, I live in Chicago, and we have a huge, diverse sexuality community here. But what I really, really quickly noticed is that in a very large community of people, it segregated itself down to these tiny pockets to the point where there was poly under 40, poly for parents, poly for, you know, why must we segregate ourselves like that? Seriously. And I think it, I wish I could say what it is. <laughs> I think the, the best people that I know in non-monogamy are the people who are open to the largest community. Right. And the best people I know are allies to the different communities. And so the, really there's, there's two ways you can go when you've been a victim of oppression is you can make it your business to oppress someone else, which is the way a lot of people go. And that's throughout many lifestyles. Or you can make it your business to make sure uh, to the best of your ability that nobody ever has to experience oppression again. And that's, that's what I try to do. And I know I never do enough because we can never, ever do enough. But I, as I mean, really, the, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an ostensibly heterosexual, cisgendered, middle-class white male. I am essentially the definition of privilege, but I'm a bisexual male, which really puts a huge target, a surprisingly large target on me. True. So I, I'm able to look at it from both sides of the coin, right? I'm able to see what it looks like when you're not miscellaneously and pointlessly discriminated against. And I'm able to look at it from the... Uh, did you really just call my friend a faggot for hanging out with me? Come on, you're supposed to be, we're all here because we're rejecting the traditionalist dogma of thousands of years. That's why we're, we're swinging. How can you then turn around and spew garbage like that? Right. And I luckily have not seen a lot of that. Well, that's good. And the reason I think it's getting better, sometimes I worry it's getting better because I am self-selecting my community. But a lot of my friends are feeling more able to be openly bisexual. And I really believe there's a huge portion of the swing community that uh, of bi males in the swing community. And I think that the closeting has manifested in much the same way that closeted gay men often lash out at gay men. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, it's because they so desperately don't want to be this thing that they are. And really all, I think all it would need to flip is if, more and more bi men in the lifestyle come out as bi. And I I realize I'm talking about this a lot, but I find it fascinating that if you go on a profile-by-profile basis, and I I will 
make this very clear. I did not do a scientific study when I did this. But I did go through a couple hundred profiles on the swing dating website that I predominantly use. And 94, 95% of the women were bisexual, bi-curious, bi-comfortable, some flavor of that. Right. And maybe 5% of the men were the same. If you look way back at Kinsey's research in the, in the great Kinsey studies, he postulated that about 40% to 50%, it's been a while since I've looked at the numbers, of our population is bi. Okay. And just closeted. Right. So if that's theoretical numbers there, and we have a community with such a vastly skewed number of bi-females, it would stand to reason we'd have at least the bare minimum on that scale, right? right. You know, at least 40% would, would likely be bi, which means there are a lot of people that are living in fear, which means there are a lot of people that feel they need to hide even in their chosen community. And that's sad, and that's painful for me. It's why I came out as bi uh, on, on the podcast. I was the first swing podcaster who ever admitted to being bi, the first male swing podcaster, and that was way back almost six years ago now. And honestly, I've only had ignorant comments thrown at me in person. <laughs> I've never actually had someone complain uh, to, to the podcast, which means – all we need is for more people to be open about what they want. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's really true Very in good. life, you know? It I feel is. like I've been talking a lot. I've been filibustering here. <laughs> well, you're sharing good stuff, though. But we are almost out of time. We've only got a couple minutes left. Do you want to let people know how they can find you, your website, your podcast, that, that information? The promo page for the show is also going to have all that information on it. Oh, wonderful. Okay. My new book comes out on February 9th. So my new book, uh, A Life Less Monogamous, is available now. And if you buy it from my website, it directly supports me, and I would really appreciate that. And if you buy it from my website, I will give you a special promo code. If you do Ready for Love with no spaces, you can save 10% on ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And my uh, paperback, I will sign for you uh, at no extra charge. You can find me at coopersbeckett.com. And my Life on the Swing Set podcast is at lifeontheswingset.com. I also run a sex-positive podcast network at swingset.fm. And if you're on Twitter, I'm at Cooper S. Beckett. Really, you can find me on most social networks at Cooper S. Beckett. So I would love to connect to anyone uh, in the audience who... Uh, you know, unless you want to shout epithets at me, epithets. Yeah. Well, as long as you want to be nice. <laughs> yeah, be nice. I'm be nice. I'm fine with hard hard discussion, but uh, be nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't mind hard dis discussions and disagreeing, but you know, at least be civil and, and decent about it. Yes, yes. Exactly. So I certainly don't expect everybody to agree with me. <laughs> no. So, it's hard to be an evangelist for swinging and expect everybody to agree with you. <laughs> This is true. I, I find that <laughs> in my show. So, okay. So the information for the show and and a replay 
of the show will be mm-hmm. at uh, lovecoachjourney.com slash swingset, one word. So, Cooper, it's been great to have you with me, and time flew just like I thought it was going to. Oh, it was and, my pleasure. And I still got another 20 questions I want to ask you, but, but I, I'm out of time. Hey, well, I'll come back. Exactly. Exactly. All right. And, folks, I'll see you next time on Ready for Love Radio. <laughs>